0: Lee Cantor here, another episode of Coach to Coach Radio, and this is going to be a good one. Today, we have with us Mark Musselman with MX5 Consulting and Coaching. Welcome, Mark.
1: Yeah, Good morning, Lee. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, I'm excited to learn what you're up to. Tell us a little bit about MX5. How are you serving folks?
1: Yeah, uh, great question. So I got into this uh, niche back about 11 years ago after I had spent uh, about 10 years running a family-owned business. I took over that responsibility when i was a young 30 years old and i didn't know what i was doing so I, we had about 300 employees roughly is a, about a 30 million dollar business um i'm rounding numbers but uh, and i just had no idea so i reached out and hired my first coach in basically 1999 and had an experience then that has continued to this day of what a difference a partnership with a coach can make so i Um, When my family's business transacted back in 2008-9, I decided to jump into this industry and have been doing this and serving uh, mostly business owners, entrepreneurs, CEOs, people who run a business or who have a big uh, responsibility of running a vertical in a business with a one-to-one coaching environment.
0: Now, um, in the name of the firm is Consulting and Coaching. Can you kind of share a little bit about how you delineate the difference between the two?
1: Yeah, I think it's a great question, and I get this question all the time. Uh, My my sense, and again, I don't say this as if it's true. It's just my developed sense of both being a coachee and being a coach, is that coaching is really best accessed through inquiry, where there's a, a significant focus on trusting that the client has most of what they need inside them to guide themselves forward, and it's really my job to bring a, you know, a set of skillful questions in the moment that elicit that uh, intelligence and that wisdom. Uh, consulting is more an observation. And then I would say providing advice um, and more directional. And and I think there's a distinction between the two. And I tell clients when I'm working with them, I'm going to take my coaching hat off and I'm going to switch it to my consulting hat. And and it's a different energy. And I think it's a different way of engaging with somebody.
0: Now, in um, as you developed kind of working with a coach and you've kind of evolved into being a coach, is there a certain kind of methodology you follow? Is this your own kind of hybrid based on just living life and just experiencing things from both sides of the desk? How did you come yeah. up with your coaching kind of methodology?
1: Well, uh, so I have, you know, gone through, and, and you and I both know there's no, like, it's not like a licensing environment like a psychologist is. So coaching has a lot of um, organic energy to it. And I have gone through three different coaching schools. Um, And then I purchased a book back in, or actually a book was given me called Fierce Conversations, written by a woman named Susan Scott. And I love her coaching approach, which is let silence do the heavy lifting. So what that basically means is that when I'm with a client, the very first question that I ask is what's the most important conversation you and I need to be having right now. That's how I begin every single conversation with a coach uh, client of mine. And then I let that information guide the process. So what happens I've found in lots of other coaching environments is that a coach will come in with an agenda. And when they come in with an agenda, the coaching experience becomes all about that agenda instead of what's alive and present for the coachee in that moment.
0: Well, that's fascinating because that's my style of interviewing. I try to, to be kind of a blank page and listen and then uh, and move in the direction of the interviewee. And it's also my style in selling is I like to listen and follow the needs of the uh, prospect. So I think that's totally transferable to lots of other uh, activities.
1: I would agree with you. And and my background, (laughs) other than what I've been doing for the last 11 years, was in sales. I started my career with Ernest and Julio Gallo. And one of the things that they trained us, this is back in the late 80s, to do is to go before we ever interacted with a client, ever. You had to become a master of asking effective questions. And you and I would both know that that just simply means a question that has yes or no as not an option. And it just creates conversation. And then there's a whole bunch of, you know, two question or two worded questions like say more, go on, why that? Those things that create multiple layers. And if you are skilled at asking effective questions and you listen intently, you can often, you know, learn all you need to know whether it's in sales or whether it's in this world of coaching to help be, to be helpful to somebody.
0: Now in your coaching, uh, since you came from a family run business, do you work um, a lot with family owned business owners or was that just kind of something that happened and, and it really hasn't impacted your coaching?
1: Yeah, great question. And I love working with and prefer to work with family owned businesses Primarily because, you know, there's no other sort of animal like them, you know, um, what I've discovered, and I'm I'm sure you could probably join me in that same understanding is that, you know, family businesses have family as the thing that almost always dominates all the activity, Uh, you know, so you can look at sort of an ownership perspective, a management perspective, and then a family perspective and family businesses just have a unique way of operating, uh, having been in one for 20 years. And it was me, my four siblings, both my parents. So all seven members of my immediate family were in that business for 20 years together. Um, and, and the business was around for 50 years in my family. I just was only with it for 20. Uh, but there's just a whole unique way of communicating, problem solving. And usually what happens is the family history and the dynamics enter the management and ownership conversations and processes and so everything collapses and and it's just a, a, a um a more uh, as I'll say unwieldy beast at times than a traditional for-profit or a non-family owned business.
0: Yeah, I had the pleasure of co-hosting a family business show for many years. And um, this was all news to me because I'm not from a family-run business, so business was kind of a business. And then when hearing all these family-run business owners share their stories, the simplest things become complex in a family-run business, like as simple as the holidays or one child that doesn't want to get involved with the business or Succession. Uh, there's a reason in America that not a lot of family-run business kind of make it as many generations as maybe some of the European-run businesses where they could have been around for, you know, hundreds of years. And in America, it's that's more uncommon.
1: Yeah, I mean, you would know, like, the statistics are staggeringly grim when you think about the number of multi-generational family-owned businesses that are successful uh, and I mentioned that we had a transaction in 2000, sort of eight, nine, right in that window. And ours was as a result of going through bankruptcy. Um, and we, you know, I could get into all the sort of the variables that contributed to it, but certainly one of the primary variables that led to that outcome was the dysfunctional relationship between me and my immediate older brother who I had the title of CEO um, and my brother was in the business before I was. He's older than I am, and he became for years upset and angry. And you know, we did not work effectively together as stewards of this asset and, and the responsibility to run it. So in great part, there were many other variables, but that was an enormous contributor. And it had nothing to do with the business. It was all the dysfunction of two brothers who grew up in you know proximity to one another age-wise, competed for everything. And, and in particular, you know, the attention and the approval of parents and, you know, who's, you know, all that crazy stuff. And I see more often than not family dynamics getting in the way of really good businesses. And, and sometimes you just have to help it, you know, unravel that complexity so they can see what they have. And, you know, I often advise um, family owned businesses to really consider the statistics because um, more often than not, it's an emotional decision and not a rational business decision. Um, when when you get down to big conversations like selling or transitioning,
0: right? And it's um it it has its own kind of challenges that are unique to the the family dynamics. I mean, things that that happened as children impact a business, you know, fifty years later. It's fascinating for someone who wasn't involved personally, so I can kind of look at it semi-objectively. But it was, I mean, something as simple, like I, you're here, I'm hearing sibling issues with you and your brother, but I've heard stories where the father didn't want to quit. Like, he's like 80 years old, and the kid's like 60, and he's like, am I going to ever have a chance to, to have a, to run the show? And it's like, how long am I going to do this? And, you know, I, he wants to carve his own kind of monument and build his own kind of... um Legacy, and he's never getting a chance because the 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 father d- doesn't want to give up the control. Like there's so many things that you don't think about in a more traditional business that family-run businesses have to deal with.
1: A hundred percent, and what you just identified as one of the most common uh, ailments, really, of a family-owned business is when is it time to let go of that sense of power and control and invite you know, the energy of a new generation. Uh, And there are so many tripwires in that process. Um, And I had some of that myself. And so one of the things that I've found helpful, and this comes more from that consulting side of the equation as distinct from the coaching side is, you know, I'll work with incoming younger CEOs, like even that guy you were mentioning, like 60 years old, usually they're a little bit younger than that, maybe 40, 50 And they're in a battle with the, you know, the founder, the entrepreneur who started the business. And, you know, it gets really complex because there is a loss of identity, a threat to the ego, you know, significance, all those things for the founder to confront. And then for the younger person, it's that saying, I want to assert, I want to insert, I want to be significant in my own way. And so I really work with family transition um, relationships along like let's honor let's honor the years of service and learn from that person who founded the business so that the likelihood of the family business succeeding to the next generation is massively increased
0: yeah it's it's really fascinating work uh, to work in that space and again for people who are listening now that aren't part of it it's a whole other world i mean. The things that a, a traditional business owner has to deal with um, aren't a lot of this kind of emotional, um, kind of negotiating, relationship, family issues, and and literally things that happen when people were children bubble up decades later. It's fascinating. So anybody who's interested, um, you should just read about it. Read about how some some people are great at uh, at creating that level of succession and creating the input from the whole family. Cause there's a lot of benefits. I mean, I don't want to just kind of uh, uh, be negative about it because I think there's a tremendous amount of positives that come along with a family owned business in terms of creating that atmosphere, that environment, that culture that really permeates the whole organization and people feel it. And then they love being a part of it. So it, there's a ton of positives uh, about it.
1: Yeah. And I would second everything you just said, Lee. And I, I would never trade a day of those 20 years for any other experience. It was, I will say, magical in many ways. Um, and the and with that is if you're not aware, there are many potential pitfalls that are unique to a family-owned business. And I highly recommend if anybody who's on this radio show listening owns or is running a family-owned business, they look for you know, like an advisory council, a trusted advisory council, some outside support, because I find that lots of families rely on what it is they already know, and you know, there's a lot that somebody who has who is skilled in this area can do to help you.
0: Yeah, uh, amen. I think that the service you provide those folks is invaluable because you have been there and done that, and you have your own scar tissue <laughs> to prove right? it. And you also are an executive, uh, you know, you've been doing this and talk to non-family, so you have the perspective of both sides, and, and that is critical, I think, in in order for them to really feel the trust and really get the benefit, the whole benefit, and know that you're kind of have that empathetic view of what they're going through.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. It does, I mean, I've always, I, I say this this way, you know, in, in, in the world of recovery, and I'm, I'm fortunately not in that world, but... You know, there's a reason there are people who are in recovery who rely on other people who've been down that path to find their own path of recovery because they've been there, they've lived it, they understand it. And I think the same can be said about being in a family-owned business. It's such a unique experience that it's helpful to find somebody who's lived it intimately, um, you know, as as a way of understanding. And then from that understanding, you know, creating a, a path forward.
0: Now, in your work as a coach consultant, are you finding that your clients are people who have, like you, had experience coaching or consulting uh, themselves personally and they're just moving to a different one and once they hear a different voice? Or is it sometimes you're dealing with people who have never kind of uh, been coached and then you're having to educate them on the, you know, the, the mechanics of coaching and how it works and what the responsibilities of each party are?
1: I love that question. And, you know, I, when I hired my first coach in 1999, I wondered like really deeply whether I would be a good coaching client. And I think a lot of people that I encounter wonder the same thing. Like there's, there's something that is in their thought pattern, like it was mine. You know, I think afraid a little bit of stepping into the relationship because they may feel like they may not be good enough or may not do it the right way. So one of the very first things that I talk about, and I do get clients who are brand new to coaching and some that are in their 10th year of coaching, right? And I think my job initially is to connect with them at a level that reassures them. My job is really to come along as a partner in accelerating the path towards whatever it is that's important to you, right? Or to move from one level of effectiveness to a different level of effectiveness accelerated by being in a partnership. Um, And, and so I think it's, it's unique to the person. I've never come across two clients that uh, I've started the same way with ever um, because everybody has a unique set of wants and needs and expectations and their own style. So the one thing I love about the work is that it is a hundred percent new every single time I start a relationship um, and you know, I get asked all the time, "Do you have a Do you have a process?" And you know, I say very clearly, my process is: I will meet you on the very first moment of our very first conversations with this question: "What's the most important conversation you and I need to be in right now?" And then I follow that for the duration of our coaching engagement. Every single time we meet, that'll be the exact same question. And then you know, it's up to you. And I, you, you know, I I really emphasize this that the work. Of coaching really is the work of the coachee. I can't want something more than the coachee wants it. And so I just follow that level of interest, commitment, and desire. And, you know, some people who are in coaching love homework and some people hate it. Some people love to be held accountable and some people avoid it. And, you know, my, my opportunity with the client is to explore those edges um, and then lean into them where it's healthy and then use that as a way to guide the process. Does that make sense?
0: It makes perfect sense. And again, this is one of those transferable things that aren't just, uh, I mean, this goes to my parenting skills that I have right. with my kid is like, you know, when I'm encouraging my kid to do something, I tell him right away is, look, I can't want it more than you. If I can't do this for you, This is something, it's an opportunity for you right now, but you have to do it. You have to do the work. I mean, to me, it seems obvious and logical, but ultimately, you're the one who has to make the call, do the work, write the paper, whatever it is. This is on you, Um, you know, and that's a tough lesson for parents, and it's a tough lesson for executives talking to their people. You can't make the sales guy want it more than you you know, you can give them some, you know, best practices, but ultimately they're the ones who have got to do the work.
1: Yeah, I love it. And, you know, I've been coaching youth athletics for about 25 years, 11 years. um, I have been one of the coaches at a rugby team, a high school rugby team in Denver that is extraordinary. And we, you know, we just had practice last night and I'm going to dovetail on what you said. Um, We finished the practice. It seemed like, the athletes were kind of not really serious about being there. And, you know, one of the coaches adjacent to me said to the team, like, listen, as coaches, we're here to facilitate, you know, the opportunity for you to grow. It's a hundred percent up to you to seize that opportunity. And you have to determine as a set of players, how you want this season to unfold. We're here as People who can help you at every step of the way, and I thought the metaphor was absolutely spot on with what we're talking about right now. Um, and I and I love your conversation with your kids. And there's a sort of a philosoph a philosophical platform called Love and Logic, which I was introduced to years ago. I've got four kids; they're adult kids now, um, but you know, my wife and I always used Love and Logic, which is this environment of natural consequences as a foundation for how we parent it and I think this is very similar.
0: Yeah. I I mean one of the things that I told my kid early was I've been through fifth grade. You know, I've already done this. So you can take my advice or not, but you know, this is your journey to go on. I mean right. I'm here to help and I'm rooting for you. But, you know, this is on you, bud.
1: Yeah. And I love that approach. And, and I had a, I got interviewed one time, this is a number of years ago, maybe five, six, six, seven years ago by somebody from the international coaching federation ICF. And, and they were really interested in, you know, me sharing with them my approach and my philosophy to coaching. And I said, you know, quite, you know, directly that I enter that conversation empty like completely empty and present to whatever it is that shows up in the moment. And that takes a lot of effort for most people to come into an environment committed to being empty and neutral and then allowing whatever occurs to be, you know, the foundation of the conversation and of the process. And it takes a lot of uh, trust on, you know, behalf of the coachee as well. Uh, But I find that when that happens, when I show up and I'm committed to being neutral and empty, that's when my best work occurs. When I I come in with something already in my mind that takes whatever it is that the coach he has in their mind and I run with my agenda. And I did that when I was younger because I was trying to prove that I knew something and that I could create a result and that I was good enough. And I, I gave that mantle up a long time ago. I'm not out to prove anything. I'm not out to demonstrate anything. I'm actually there, committed to just being quiet and present, and then following the conversation.
0: And I think that's a great lesson for new coaches: is to have that level of humility and confidence and trust in their own abilities and their own kind of brain power that you'll be able to to kind of solve this or ask the right questions or just understand that you don't know the answer, you know, that, and that's okay too. I mean, you're there as a sounding board and a person that's trying to kind of help the coachee get to where they're going. You know, you're, you're a Sherpa, you're not the guru, you know?
1: Right. And I think that's, I, I love that use of the phrase guru. Cause I think there's a lot of people who are in this, um, vocation who are working to be that kind of a, a resource to somebody like a guru type resource. Um, and, you know, what, what I learned, and I learned this from, I was in this group called Vistage, which used to be called Tech. Mm-hmm. But they changed their name a number of years ago. And I had a Vistage chair, his name is Don Myers, who did something for me that I had never really had done, which was he listened to me and he really focused on getting me. And this is when I was just a brand new CEO of my family's business. And I had this experience of being gotten, heard, and understood, and, and he created that for me in his listening. And he, I think you asked early on what my uh, sort of philosophy is, and, and I was massively influenced by Don and the way that he coached me, so that when I went to create the experience for others, that is the foundation that I used, and he, I think, drew his Work and his foundation from Susan Scott's book, "Fierce Conversations," as well.
0: Now, what is typically the um, kind of pain your prospective clients are going through where MX Five is the right solution? Is there something typically that's going on? Are they at a plateau? Are they frustrated? Did they just get into the role? Like, is there something that precipitates a conversation with you or somebody on your team?
1: Yeah, you know, it's uh, again, I love the question, and I it's it's all over the place. So I just recently um, brought on a new coaching client and he's a, by all means and all measures, an incredibly successful, successful executive um, president of a very large organization. And, you know, he's young and he's wondering like, what else is there? Like I I've already achieved what I thought I might not ever achieve in my mid thirties. And I want to know and I want to explore, like, what's next? That's a an example of one that just recently came on board. Another guy that I'm working with who's been a client now for about a year has been in a partnership that's dysfunctional and has been really working to try to find a healthy and constructive way either with his partner or beyond his partner. So, you know, and, and then I've had other people who have come to me and said, you know, I've, I've, um, i I've I'm in a lower position than I want to be, and I aspire to be the CEO or the president, and I need, need some help putting some skills together to be able to move in that direction. I mean, those are just three random examples from people I worked with in the past year, and and so I said earlier on that I, I don't ever really know. I just know that there's two things. One is that people are committed to continuously improving. And a lot of people want to accelerate a process in the um, I'd say in, in the attempt to expand and be a, become a better version of themselves, whatever that means, personally, professionally. So that's what I, I, so I can't, I can't give a straight answer. It comes from all over the board.
0: Now, if there is somebody out there that wants to have a more substantive conversation with you or somebody on your team, what is the, what is our website? Is there a way to get a hold of you?
1: Yeah. So I have a website, which is, you know, www.mx5consulting.com. And uh, I'm also, you know, I I post a lot of content on LinkedIn. So I've got a good LinkedIn profile. Um, You know, I have contact me directly by email, which is my first name, Mark at mx5consulting.com. Those are probably the easiest ways to get in touch with me.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing your story today. You're doing important work and we appreciate you.
1: Yeah. And I appreciate the opportunity, Lee, really to just I love the forum and I, I'm i grateful to have been here with you. Thank you.
0: All right. This is Lee Cantor. We will see you all next time on Coach the Coach Radio.